Good morning, church. This morning's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please follow along. If you don't, uh, the ushers have a Bible for you that we'd love to give to you this morning as a gift. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Amen. Good morning, everybody, and welcome again, once again, welcome to Table Church. I am so glad that you're here today. As we get started, I just want to let you know about a little event we got coming up. We're, before we know it, it's going to be the season of Lent. Lent is the 40 days before Easter where we spend some time in contrition, in, in um, a reflection, in repentance uh, for our sin, and as it kind of leads us to the victorious moment of Easter Sunday. And one way that Christians have traditionally kicked off Lent is through um, Ash Wednesday. And so that's March 2nd, Wednesday, March 2nd. And I want to invite you, I think, is that this Wednesday? Okay, it's this Wednesday. And I want to invite you to the Ministry Center from 6 to 7.30 on Wednesday night. Uh, Pastor Megan and I are going to be there. Look, it's going to be pretty low-key. It's just kind of a come and go as you, as you please sort of thing. We'll have some prayer materials there. Um, but I, we just thought, uh, if you want to spend 10 or 15 minutes in just like in my office or Megan's office with one of us, just to pray specifically for you or for your family, um, we want to make that available to you. And I know that sounds maybe a little bit, I don't know, vulnerable or something like that, but it, it could just be a chance to say, Hey, how, how's it going? Hey, can you pray for my job? Hey, let's pray together for my family, that kind of thing. Um, and we will take communion together. And then we will also have ashes there to put on your forehead. Um, that's another thing that we've traditionally done as a symbol of our repentance for our sin. Uh, it's just an excellent opportunity to spend time as we prepare for the victory that is Easter to remember that it is our sin that paved the road to Calvary for Christ. And so I hope that you'll make time to come from any time between 6 and 7.30 at the Ministry Center on Wednesday evening. So in our final week of our sermon series called Hearts on Fire, what it means to be Wesleyan. And uh, strangely enough, we've been exploring the history of our denomination. And I think it's actually been kind of okay. That sounds, when I say it, if this is your first time here in the series, you're like, wow, that sounds like a real thrilling topic. Um, no, actually, it's been, it's been a, a lot of fun, at least for me, because what we've learned so far is that Wesleyans have historically... We, haven't ha we don't have a boring history. We, we've been radicals. We were calling for the immediate end and abolition of slavery. We called for women to be able to vote. We were among the first to ordain women to the pulpit. And so what we've learned so far is that Wesleyans, we had social concerns. We were activists. We were the ones pushing against the status quo of culture. You know what? You probably haven't met anyone quite as annoying as an early Wesleyan. We were the ones that the burr under the saddle of the institution, demanding for change. They took risks for what they believed was right. Early Wesleyans were lynched. They were shot at. There was ambushes laid for their lives. They were poisoned. I'm talking about preachers because of the things that they preached. All these things happened. Look, none of that's ever happened to me. But it's what happened to the earliest Wesleyans because of their stance on these sorts of controversial things at the time. 
But just as important as what these early Wesleyans did is why they did it. These people had hearts on fire for God, first and foremost. Early Wesleyan missionaries would pack their belongings in their coffin because they knew they weren't coming back. It was a lifetime call for them. They had a love for God and for the world that was born out of their reverence for the scriptures. They believed that a life could be radically transformed through an encounter with God. Now, I've made it clear through this series, and I likely will again, uh, the point of this series is not to say Wesleyans are better than anybody else. I actually really, really value other denominations and traditions. But you're sitting in a Wesleyan congregation now, so it might not be a bad idea to know what that means, right? And so that's why we're doing this series. One of the core scriptural beliefs that John Wesley preached was this. Sinners can not only be forgiven, but also made new. In other words, Wesleyans believe that by the power of God, the chains of sin can be broken in your life. Salvation means more than forgiveness of sins. It means that, but then it means more than that. It also means that we can be healed from those sins. And so today's Wesleyan distinctive, if you will, that we're going to talk about is holiness. Kind of a Dusty old sounding word, isn't it? But that is a major emphasis in our movement, and so we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about holiness. In our passage today, Peter writes, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And so it appears that Peter believes that we don't have to do evil, that we don't have to do sinful things. He says, don't conform to those evil desires and patterns. Now, this kind of goes against popular thought. Maybe you've said this before. Maybe you've heard people say this after they make a mistake, after they mess up or do something wrong. They say, well, I'm only human. I'm only human. Sometimes we say it as a little bit of a, a way to kind of excuse ourselves for what we just did. It's a common expression. And I think there's a hidden assumption in that statement. Maybe not terribly hidden, actually. The assumption is that humans are made to sin. I'm only human. I mean, I can't help myself. That's what humans do. Humans are made to make mistakes. We can't help but sin. We are hopelessly destined to sin. That's kind of the hidden assumption in that statement. Now, Wesleyans, we would say, yeah, humanity has fallen. The image of God in us has been marred by sin. We have like this magnetic pull towards selfishness, towards destruction, towards evil. You and I do not wake up one day and choose God. We do not have it within us. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins. Look, insofar as you know God, it's because God enabled that in you. And so Wesleyans would agree with all of that, but we would also say that there's more to the story. Peter shows us that we no longer have to conform to those evil desires we once had, and then he's going to push it further. Look what he says. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Listen, Wesleyans have been amazed at the loftiness of the New Testament's language about how we should live and who we should be. We've been amazed at the high bar that God's grace calls us to. Be holy in all you do, it says. John Wesley asks in one of his sermons, he says, Art thou daily fighting against all sin and daily more than 
conqueror. Are you a conqueror over sin every day? Other places in the Bible say similar things. Check this one out. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Once again, it's not us. It's God. Here's another one. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And of course, you have this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus drops that little one on us. And don't forget, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. What we have here is like a grand canyon between how we feel and think about ourselves and the vision that the New Testament calls us to in our life. We see ourselves as kind of hopeless sinners. God calls us to be made new. One of the biggest complaints that people will often have with church is they'll say, yeah, it makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel like I'm not going to measure up, like I'm not enough, that I'm not worthy. And the Christians, you know, they, they think they're all perfect, but they just point the finger at all of us who aren't. And there is a lot of truth in that, isn't there? I imagine we've all felt that way at one point or another. But I believe that one of John Wesley's best contributions was helping us out of this tangle. Because listen, what has happened is churches, including Wesleyan ones, maybe even especially Wesleyan ones, uh, we have taken the New Testament's call to a holy life and we have twisted it into a new form of kind of pharisaical law. I believe that one of John Wesley's best things that he's done is help us out of that that difficulty if we'd only listen carefully to what he said. Because listen, John Wesley opened people's eyes to the grand vision of holiness that the Bible calls us to, but when it comes to how to accomplish that, he does not give us a list of rules. Instead, he calls us towards a heart of love. This is the compelling theme through his entire body of work, constantly calling us to a wider and a bigger heart of love for God and for people. And he believes that God really can help us It can make us into people who love God with our whole heart. See, listen, love, not law, is the basis of holiness. And that is a crucial distinction. It's the difference between being holy and being crushed by something you can never attain. I called the series Hearts on Fire because what is really at the heart of the Wesleyan message is this. God can empower us with a love that burns brighter than the darkness. And that's called holiness. John Wesley said, The living sacrifice of the heart he hath chosen, let it be continually offered up to God through Christ in flames of holy love. In other words, pursue God's heart, not a law. When the Bible says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, or be holy in all that you do, this means it's not saying, Hey, never make a mistake again. It's saying, have an ever-expanding heart of love. Grow more and more every day toward loving God and toward loving others. Because all the law and the prophets are are summed up in that, are they not? 
Holiness is about loving God with all your being. It's about seeking all your happiness in him alone. It's about having a soul that continually magnifies the Lord, that rejoices in the joy of your salvation once again. It's about letting God be the sum of your desires and being crucified to the world. And holiness is also about loving others with a tender compassion. It's about being hospitable towards strangers and patient with the ignorant mistakes of others. It's about having more zeal for others' needs than your own preferences or comfort. It's about seeing the person behind the disagreement rather than just the issue you disagree on. I wonder if that is how the world sees Christians today. Do they see us living that kind of life, a life of holy love? Do they see us doing that in the community? Do they see us doing that in the school board meetings? Do they see us doing that when we post about our political views? Look, your policy positions, your doctrinal knowledge, your talents, your gifts mean absolutely nothing if it's not encased in a heart of love. In fact, Paul has a word or a phrase for those kinds of people who have all the things that to say, but they don't have love. He calls them a clanging symbol. Holiness is not about a rigid set of rules, but about an ever-expanding heart of love. And by that definition, we've got room for improvement. In the early 1900s, there arose a fierce controversy in the church. There were some who taught that salvation has more to do with social progress. And then there were those who taught that salvation has more to do with personal faith in Jesus. Okay? This disagreement developed into a, a divide between what we might call theological conservatives and theological liberals. For the liberals, the emphasis was, hey, we got to live out Jesus' social teachings. The kingdom of God comes when we live out the social teachings of Jesus. And this can happen uh, you know, through programs, through governmental means, and those sorts of things. And out of this comes what many of us refer to as the social gospel. Whereas for conservatives over here, they said, no, no, the gospel is summed up in a personal uh, conversion experience where you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so you have, on the one hand, a rather public display of the faith, and over here you have a rather private display of the faith, and I happen to think that there's lots of things that are good about both sides, um, and I wish that I could say Wesleyans during this time looked at our theological inheritance and realized, you know what, I think it's wide enough to encompass both of these. I wish that we would have said, hey, you know what, our understanding of the gospel is wide enough to include social action and personal conversion. I wish they would have remembered Wesley's famous teaching on holiness. He says, the gospel knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Theologically, we were equipped to offer a third way between the conservative and liberal divide. But sadly, that's not what happened. One historian called it the great reversal. Wesleyan sided with the theological conservatives and retreated from all corners of social reform. The movement that had been among the first to call for the end of slavery had been the, it had been the first to host a women's rights convention it was now taking a seat in matters of social reform. I don't mean to generalize or misconstrue or misrepresent, but at least from a distance, from the outside looking in, holiness sure seemed now to mean an individualistic behavioral kind of thing where 
You know, you just can't play cards or dance or smoke or drink. That's now what holiness became. Not, not hearts on fire with love. That was no longer the measuring stick for holiness. Salvation was now understood as like a private event in my heart, inside the heart of every believer. It did not, it did not require social transformation. It did not require a heart for the poor. It was a great reversal from where Wesleyans had once been. This tearing apart of the gospel that I've been trying to articulate the last couple minutes that very much persists into our present day is, in my opinion, one of the greatest theological disasters ever to happen. It has distorted the true gospel and abandoned huge parts of the scriptural witness. And the effects of this conflict are still with us today. For example, Taking a stand for racial justice today can easily get someone labeled derogatorily, liberal, woke. It's the same conservative-liberal divide, but it lacks any sort of theological nuance at all. Now we simply condemn people for any remote resemblance to the other side. Guilt by association. It's all that matters. Regardless of what they actually believe or why, and usually it has to do with what sort of political party they're associating with, it's the lingering effects of the gospel gone wrong. I still believe there is a third way. I believe it lies, at least in part, in the Wesleyan message of holiness. Not a rigid, law-bound idea of holiness that is measured by conformity to a list of rules. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart on fire with love for God and for others. See, early Wesleyans believed in personal salvation that led to social action. This is why while white Christians were debating, listen, while white Christians were debating a few years ago whether or not we could say things like black lives matter, think about that for a second, that that was a debate, still is. At Table Church, we said, you know what, well, here's what we're going to, we're going to lean into black voices and see what we can learn. This is while Christians are debating this thing called critical race theory. If you never heard of that, don't Google it. Don't worry about it. But look, it's a thing right now. It's a thing right now, believe me. And Christians are talking a lot about it. Christians are debating a lot. And sometimes it gets really ugly. And, and so you got some Christians over here that are like, oh, it's the worst thing. And we need to make sure that our kids don't learn it. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, and so we're going to whatever measures we have to go to make sure that no scent of critical race theory is is present in our schools and in our churches. And then you have, obviously, the masses in the middle, like, what are we, <laughs> what's the problem, you know? And, boy, we have lost the forest for the trees. And so while all of this is raging in our culture, what did we do at Table Church? We decided, uh, let's just get to work tutoring kids in an at-risk neighborhood. How about that? Because Wesleyans, we lean towards action. And look, I like to debate. I like to think about philosophy and theory and stuff like that. I find all that interesting. But at the end of the day, holiness is a call to love people. And that's what we want to do. The Wesleyan Church today is showing signs of recovering what was lost. I think we are in an increasingly global movement 
Uh, I see us recovering our radical love for the whole world. The great reversal, I think, is reversing. I pray and I, I believe. Wesleyan churches across the country are establishing these really cool things called immigrant connection centers where uh, people like you and me can get legal training and help re- immig- immigrants and refugees with their legal needs. Wesleyans across the globe are involved in the fight against human trafficking. World Hope International, which was started by our former general superintendent, Joanne Lyon, one of the biggest humanitarian aid organizations in the world, and it's a powerful force for helping exploited and vulnerable communities all over the world. Wesleyans today are passionate about all sorts of social causes, from refugees and immigrants, community development, sanctity of life, from womb to tomb, education equality, and racial reconciliation. You can find all of this in our global movement. And we do it, listen, we do it because of our belief in the power of a personal, transforming encounter with God. It is simply holiness in action. So the question today's sermon brings to my mind is this. How far does salvation go? And here's what I mean. When God saves me, does that leave me any different? Does salvation change me at all? Or does it just forgive me of my sins? Does it do any work in my heart? Because a criminal can be declared innocent and still be a dirty, rotten scoundrel, can't they? A person can be declared innocent in a court of law, but they still might not be a very good person. How far does salvation go? Does it mean that God will make me a little nicer? Maybe I'll stop swearing so much. Uh, does it mean that I'll you know, keep doing all the nasty things I did before but go to church a little more? Or does salvation go further than that? Does it touch my heart? Does it transform me from the inside? Does it make me into a new creation? Does it make me into somebody who can actually love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and actually love my neighbors and my enemies as myself? Does salvation enable me to do these things? How far does salvation go? Listen, Wesleyans would say salvation goes all the way. There's no corner of your life the grace of God can't touch. God does not want to save you a little. He wants to make you new. He wants you to be holy. He wants to give you a heart that is on fire for him. God wants you to know that if you are in bondage to a habit or a pattern of behavior, that he can break those chains, that he can make you new, he can make you holy. Because remember, holiness is about having a heart full of love for God and others, not having a mind full of rules and laws. And when you have the love of God in your heart, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Ultimately, that's what it means to be Wesleyan. I've said the word Wesleyan a lot in this sermon, in this series, shouldn't be a surprise given the, the topic. <laughs> um, but really, it's just what it means to be a Christian. Like I've continually said, the purpose here isn't to dunk on other denominations. In fact, I, I could tell you all sorts of things I really appreciate about Catholics and Presbyterians and Baptists and Reformed and Orthodox and I like the different emphases that all denominations bring. I'm also not trying to communicate that to be a part of Table Church, you have to line up on all things Wesleyan. 
That's not the case. In fact, I wouldn't make the cut if that was true. But I do believe the Wesleyan message has some important things for our time. I do believe that the Wesleyan message of holiness is something that we need to recover and proudly preach. In a church riddled with division, we can bring a third way. In a world racked with despair, we can bring a message of hope. God will not abandon you to your sin. And so I want to resurrect the idea of holiness. It's this old churchy word that conjures up images of women in long skirts and men in suits and no dancing or movies or cards. It's also a thoroughly biblical word. It means so much more than that. It means being set apart fully for God to be used by him for his purposes in the world to partner with God in what he's doing. I don't believe we have to wait until new creation to live the life that the New Testament calls us to. I believe it's possible to experience God in a transforming kind of way here and now. Today you can walk out of here with your, your heart different than it was when you came in. I want to be a tradition that encourages me I'm going to be in a tradition that encouraged me toward a greater love of God and neighbor. We all read the Bible with a lens, you know. Um, everybody, nobody can be completely unbiased about things. And so what stream are you drinking from? I want to be part of a tradition that calls me towards greater love of God and neighbor. And that's what I've found so far in the Wesleyan tradition. Now, maybe after hearing this series, some of you are at a place where, you know, um, maybe you're like, oh, that's, that was interesting, that's cool, but whatever. Uh, maybe some of you, though, are like, hey, I think I want to join that team. I think I want to move into that more. Um, I want to invite you. We have a membership class on Saturday the 12th, uh, Saturday, March 12th at 9.30 a.m. You can sign up on your connection card. Membership, there's nothing magical about this, uh, but if you become a member, then you are officially a Wesleyan. If you want to be that, then I want to invite you to this. Uh, you can be a happy, functioning, uh, part-of-table church without being a member, but what membership does and why I value it is because, number one, I, I, I like accountability. Uh, this is something that matters to me, and so I want somebody saying to me, hey, are you participating in your church? Are you growing in your faith? Are you giving, not just taking? That kind of stuff. That's what membership calls you toward. Um, uh, but also, it's, you know, if, if big decisions had to be made around table church, then the members would, of course, be called upon for some of those decisions. And so, if you want to sign up, just sign up on your connection card. I think you can circle membership on there, and I'll be in touch. If, you already are, if you're watching online and you already filled out your card, you can just send an email to hello at tablechurchdsm.org, and we will be in touch with you there. Now, maybe some of you want to become Wesleyan. That's cool. But maybe some of you are realizing that you have another step you need to take, that when I talk about a life transformed by God, an encounter with God, that you're, you're recognizing you have never experienced that. Perhaps you need to accept Jesus today. Decide to follow him, to, to step into the way of Jesus. And if that's you, then I want to invite you to do that today. Let us know on your connection card. There's a cross you can circle. That's how we'll know, and we'll be in touch with you about that.